From the Smear Mission Independent, I'm Alex Whittle, and you're listening to Indie on Air. It's Monday, June 1st, and this week I'm joined by my colleague at the Indie, Julia Gudis, as we sit down with Nikki Rosenhagen from the Paws Wildlife Rehabilitation Center and Kim Chandler from Washington's Department of Fish and Wildlife to discuss animals around our community. Bear sightings have been a normal occurrence in Sammamish. But last week, many members of the community got an up-close encounter. An adolescent bear walked through the backyards and down the streets of multiple neighborhoods on the north side of the city. And because everyone was sheltering at home, we saw lots of photos and videos of the bear, and it let us track the bear's movements throughout the day. After watching how close the community was following the bear, it got us thinking, how should we react as individuals to when we see wildlife in our backyards here in Sammamish? And why do we feel these sightings and occurrences have been happening more often than before? With these questions in mind, we went and talked to two wildlife experts. Well, thank you, Nikki, for sitting down with us today. How are you? Good, good. Busy. Um, Certainly adapting to the, the new normal right now, but overall doing pretty well. You work at Paws Wildlife Center. What does the organization do and what is your role there? So the Paws Wildlife Center, um, we're a branch from the the larger Paws organization. Um, The Wildlife Center is a wildlife hospital. So we take in injured, orphaned, and sick wild animals. And if it's something that we can heal or fix, we do. And we get these animals a second chance and get them back out into the wild. Um, And my job is I'm a veterinarian. So I see a lot of the broken and sick animals. What animals do you typically heal and rehabilitate, and where do you often find them? Yeah, so the animals come into us, um, the vast majority of the animals are actually brought into us by members of the public who encounter them. So whether it's a baby squirrel that falls out of a tree, or they find a bird that hits a window, um, sometimes they'll even bring bigger things in like hawks and owls. Infrequently, we will get animals from law enforcement, um, animal control officers, um, Department of Fish and Wildlife officers, so, so things like bears. Um, we get harbor seals sometimes, um, and those come from um, authority figures, but otherwise, most of the animals come to us from people who just find them. It's often in their yard or along the side of the road. I mean, we get them from um, all around the state, so sometimes many hours away. And the types of animals we get in, we, we take in everything, um, everything that is native to Washington state. And then we do provide care to a handful of what we call non-native animals. So those are things like Eastern gray squirrels and Eastern cottontails. Um, we do see some rock pigeons, the, the guys that you see like in downtown. Um, we do take those guys in the winter when we're not quite at our capacity. But we will take in anything from hummingbirds to eagles to herons, and then as far as mammals, all the way down to a little vole or a shrew, um, up to those harbor seals and black bears and everything in between. So it's a pretty wide array. We do see a handful of reptiles and amphibians, but uh, most of what we do is birds and mammals. Are there ever situations where you would send an animal to a permanent facility, for example, a zoo, if you couldn't release them back into the wild? So a lot of wildlife rehabilitation, there are a lot of centers, there are a lot of places around the country and the world that do this, and a lot of them will do that. They will either keep animals as education animals or place them in zoos, et cetera. Um, PAWS does not do that. Our policy is basically if we can't get these animals back out into the wild, um, then the next best thing that we can offer them is a humane death. 
being in captivity for a wild animal is inherently stressful. And in our opinion, it does not afford a good quality of life for almost all wild animals. So very, very few wild animals are suitable or are suited for life in captivity. And so our policy is that we do not, um, but a lot of organizations do. So once you take these animals in, how long does it usually take for your organization to release animals back into the wild? But honestly, sometimes we can do what we call a quick turnaround. So we'll do an exam on them and get them out back out into the wild the same day, give them some fluids. Um, sometimes it's a couple of days. Things like black bears, when we get orphaned black bear cubs, they typically stay with us for upwards of um, a year or more um, until they're old enough to be on their own. So the, the time that an animal stays at pause varies a lot based on its species and then its presenting problem, so whether it's a, a broken bone or it's sick or it's just a baby who needs to grow up. So you mentioned bears, and recently we've seen a bear roaming around here in Sammamish. Uh, is this a situation that PAWS would get involved in for rehabilitation into the wild? So we don't, we are not the ones who get involved at that point. So at that point, um, if someone sees a bear and it's too close to humans because someone's been feeding it or it's sick or it's injured, um, then we would recommend that you call the Department of Fish and Wildlife. Um, then they send their officers out there or their biologists out there and they assess the situation and determine what's going on. If it's an animal that, for example, if it's a cub who lost his mom too early, that's a situation where they would intervene or if it's a sick or injured animal um, and give us a call and see if we are able to take care of that animal. In some cases, there are um, what we call nuisance bears um, that they learn people are a source of food because people leave their garbage out or bird feeders or intentionally feed them. Um, and in those cases, Fish and Wildlife's job at that point is to potentially capture and relocate that bear um, or set up some type of deterrent to keep them away. So it just depends on the situation, but we absolutely can help animals that are in need of medical attention or a place to grow up. What would you recommend citizens do when they see animals, uh, like especially predators, wandering around the neighborhood? So it really, it's going to depend on the, the area that you live in. So somebody who lives way out, you know, further in the country in a more um, rural area, you just have to remember that this is though that, that those animals live there too, right? That's their home. And so are they roaming around because you just happen to catch them in the evening when they would naturally be out? Or are they out because either they've learned, again, that people are a source of food and um, they have lost their fear of people and are approaching, which can be dangerous for everybody, or is there something wrong with that animal, whether it's sick or injured? And so in situations like that, you can always call pause. Um, our admission specialists take calls like that all the time, and we do our best to assess the situation remotely um, to determine what might actually be going on. If it is a situation um, where it is an, actually a dangerous animal that the member of the public can't, doesn't feel comfortable approaching or shouldn't approach, then in those cases, in, in some cases, we will go out um, and try and rescue that animal if that's what it needs. Um, in other cases, we will recommend, again, that they call either the Department of Fish and Wildlife or their local animal control um, to see if those uh, trained professionals can get involved to help that animal. Well, thank you, Nikki, for taking the time to sit down with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk to you. Um, and I just wanted to reiterate, if people have any questions or concerns about wild animals, um, our admission specialists are, are manning the phones. We're here seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, and we're always happy to answer your questions and give you guidance and help you um, figure out if an animal needs to be helped or not. But like I said, give us a call um, and we'll, we'll do our best to, to guide you through it. Great. We'll be right back. Indie On Air is a podcast that complements the new digital newspaper, the Sammamish Independent. 
which provides community news that you can use right here in the city of Sammamish, Washington. The Sammamish Independent is brought to you by a team of students and community leaders who are passionate about keeping our neighbors informed of what's going on in our community. Look for the paper at SammamishIndependent.com as it launches next week. Our next guest is Kim Chandler from Washington's Department of Fish and Wildlife. Kim, how are you doing today? I'm just fine uh, because I'm indoors. Uh, it's wet outside today, at least so far. We'll see how it goes. And so could you tell us what you do at the Department of Fish and Wildlife? Okay, so I am a, a, a sergeant with the uh, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, which is the enforcement branch of the department. You know, we have biologists, fish biologists, and wildlife biologists, and habitat folks, and lands people, and you know, as a state agency, lots of it. But I'm with the enforcement uh, end of things. So I uh, have four officers that work for me uh, in King County. Uh, my primary uh, area of responsibility is, is King County. So in a town like Sammamish, which is mostly suburbs, what would we usually find? Oh, you name it, you've got it. I think probably one of the most, maybe not as visible, but most reported are coyotes uh, and bears. And I, I guess I would throw bobcats in there as well. An occasional cougar wanders through, but those are pretty few and far between. Uh, mostly it's, it's bears and coyotes. So speaking of bears, we recently had a bear sighting across multiple backyards here in Sammamish. How often does this occur in communities similar to ours across the state? Well, every community across the state is different. But in King County, uh, particularly in Sammamish, those sightings are very frequent. No question about it. The bears are on the move, and right now is mating season. So they are... Uh, really moving around for obvious reasons. And sightings are very frequent. The same bear is seen in any particular neighborhood uh, multiple times, 10 blocks away, maybe a half a mile away. They travel, they can travel quite a bit uh, during the course of a day or at night. And the same bear shows up in different places throughout the city. I try to keep track of where most of them are occurring so that when somebody does call, I can say, yes, I, you know, I know about that bear. He or she was, was here you know, last week. And you can see clusters indicates pretty much the same bear. But yeah, they're there. So what should someone do if they encounter a bear or cougar in their backyard? First of all, let's, let's back up maybe just a little bit and try to figure out why that bear is in the backyard. 99 out of 100 times, it's because of a food source. And a food source could be anything from bird feeders to barbecue grills to compost piles, dog and cat food left out on the deck, garbage cans that are not secured. And by secured, I mean put in the garage. So why is that bear there in the first place? 
Um, that's what you have to figure out. And if you don't want the bear in your backyard, put away all of those food sources. That's the key. If you see a bear in your backyard and he is in a food source, you forgot to take your, your bird feeder down or forgot to put the garbage can away. Go ahead and take a few of your pictures. Yeah, it's good. You know, hey, honey, come look at the bear. Look, kids, look, we have a bear in the backyard or a bear on the deck. You know, that's, that's cool. I get that. But then it's really important to take some action. And by that, I mean start slamming doors, stick your head out the door, uh, slam the window shut, bang pots and pans, uh, make all kinds of noise. You have to make sure that that bear understands that this is not acceptable behavior. He is not welcome there. Otherwise, there's no consequence and they just keep coming back. They have a great memory. And it's the same with the coyotes. It's the same with all the wildlife in these semi-urban settings that we have here. So take action. So the bear around our community seemed young and malnourished. Should we attempt to help or rescue it? Absolutely not. <laughs> Mom keeps Junior for two years, and then she kicks him out. And a two-year-old bear... Uh, is usually, uh, you know, maybe 100 pounds, uh, maybe up to 150 pounds, depending on how much good things they've had to eat. And especially in the spring, when they come out of hibernation, around here, it's not really a true hibernation. It's what we call a torpor, uh, where they just sort of doze off and yeah, they're curled up in a, a some sort of a den like thing, maybe just under a root wad someplace back in the green belt or the trees someplace. But when they wake up, they still have last year's fur coat on. Uh, they're trying to get rid of it. They're, they're rubbing up against trees and things, trying to get that old coat off so they get their new coat, their new spring coat on. And quite honestly, they look kind of ratty. They look like they're malnourished, like they're not doing very well. But if that bear's up and walking around and he, he or she's doing just fine. Uh, we, we do like reports of these. Now, we do have several bears running around King County, a couple from last year, even reports that have shown up again this spring that are limping. You know, there's lots of animals around that are limping. Um, it's really difficult for us to even think of going in and darting and drugging a bear like that maybe just to see what it looks like if it's really bad we're going to have to euthanize that bear um, rehab centers just don't have the facility to rehab a full-grown you know 250 or 300 pound bear little tiny fur cub fur ball cubs a uh, little bit different story but even then uh, they only have room for so many and it's a really difficult situation so as tough as it is, I guess, the old adage, let nature take its course, is usually the best way to go on any of these wild animals like this. And again, it's tough to see, it's tough to watch, but usually that's the best way. I guess it's also important when you, when you have particularly little kids up to you know, eight, nine, 10 years old maybe, talk to them and let, make them realize that these are not their teddy bears. Uh, you know, don't approach them. Don't try to pet them. We're not going to go pick these up. Uh, you know, this is something that you do have to have a certain amount of respect for 
and, and don't go there. So I'll throw that in. So earlier you did mention that bears tend to gravitate towards food sources, but is there any particular reason that larger wildlife uh, tend to prowl around neighborhoods besides that? Food is the number one source. The other reason is if you stop and think about all of this country east of like Highway 203, Redmond Falls City, uh, Duval, Carnation area, all that DNR land back there, those are all the good spots. Well, all the good spots are taken up. And so these fringe areas are when mom kicks them out of those good spots, they have to find their own place to live. Newcomers don't do very well in established territories. So when they have to find their own, guess what? Look here, here's some Amish. Here's a really good food source uh, available in mostly garbage cans and bird feeders. Nobody's here to bother me. No, no bigger, badder bears uh, out there to growl at me and chase me around and try to kill me. I think I'll stay here. Uh, again, the food source is the main thing, but hey, nobody's really here to bother me. Um, people, again, look at me on their deck and throw me tuna fish sandwiches and I'm happy. So that's primarily why they're, you know, they're here. They're not here to uh, eat little kids or anything like that or bother the kids on the schoolyard. You know, they're, they're just not interested in that. When people are out hiking this summer, is there anything that they can do to avoid these animals or avoid disrupting their homes? Well, I guess, first of all, I would have to say, um, don't avoid seeing them. <laughs> uh, you know, quite a lot of folks go through their whole lives, you know, and never see a bear out in the woods or never get to see a cougar or never get to see a coyote, you know, run across the trail in front of them. Count your lucky stars that you got to see one. Keep your camera ready. Uh, everybody's got a camera on their phone these days to be, be quick about it and take a picture, you know, put it on your, on your Facebook page and, you know, and all that. That's good stuff. If you see something like that and, and you come around the corner and, and there's a bear standing in the middle of the trail, use good common sense. Do not turn around and run, uh, no matter what kind of wildlife it is. Um, that, in a way, sometimes will trigger some sort of a response. It, it's a chase kind of thing that they're used to. So that's not a good idea. It's just slowly back up, talk to it. Hey, bear. Hey, bear, good bear, good bear, you know, back up. Um, just very, very, very rarely do we ever have any encounters uh, that go sideways in, in those situations. Those bears really are not interested in, uh, in you. Um, they avoid you at, at most costs. So just, you know, use common sense. Uh, when you're hiking along, it's kind of, <laughs> I, I guess, counter to why we usually walk uh, in the woods like that is to enjoy the nature and be quiet. You don't want to be talking and, and yelling and all that kind of stuff as you're walking along through the woods. But you do start seeing sign that a bear or is in the neighborhood as you're walking along. That's probably a prudent thing to do. Let them so you don't uh, surprise them, I guess. Well, thank you, Kim, for taking the time to sit down with us today. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. This is, this is good stuff. I, I, I might also add, uh, you know, a lot of folks, uh, particularly in Sammamish, 
and in Issaquah um, have kind of, I think over the, over the last few years, quit uh, calling us. Um, they're never going to do anything anyway. Well, you're right. Uh, in most cases, unless there's some kind of a damage, uh, you know, hey, you've done everything right. You put your garbage in a shed that you made and, and took down all the bird feeders. And, and now the bear is opening up the shed. He ripped the side of the shed off. Well, you know, we need to know about that. Um, we even really like to know about sightings just for the specific reason that I can look at my map and say, okay, I know about this bear, I know these bears. So I encourage folks to, to uh, there's an online report, there's also phone numbers, you can call the Mill Creek uh, Regional Office and report even sightings. If you don't necessarily want a, uh, a phone call back or anything, that's fine. Just the report helps us out to, to know where these bears are and, and what they're doing. Thank you again for your time. We hope you have a good rest of your day. You too. Stay dry out there. Here's what else you need to know this week. On Tuesday, June 2nd, there's a Sammamish City Council meeting at 6.30pm. You can watch the live video feed on Sammamish.us. In other news, Jay Inslee's stay-at-home order expired May 31st. King County is now applying for a modified Phase 1, which includes a partial reopening of businesses and recreation. The Farmer's Market opens Wednesday, June 3rd at the Red Barn, which is located at the intersection of Sahali and 202. They request that each guest wear a mask and send only one representative from each household to purchase food. To find out more information on pre-orders and social distancing guidelines, you can go to SammamishFarmersMarket.org. Finally, Saturday, June 6th, marks the 76th anniversary of the Allied landings on D-Day. This episode of Indiana Air was produced by Alex Woodall, Lynn Yang, Simran Tandon, Susanna Pryle, and Julia Gudis. Our theme music is by Ben Allwright. Special thanks to Nikki Rosenhagen and Kim Chandler for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks for listening to Indiana Air. I'm Alex Woodall. We'll see you next week.